Hey everyone, welcome back to the Biomexus Health Podcast Series. Today is going to be another uh, helpful Q&A session with uh, many moms from uh, the UK and other countries in Europe. So uh, be sure to join in and let's just jump right into it. Hey, don't forget to subscribe, right? You know, that is um, very helpful and quite motivational for our staff to, to keep putting out these helpful podcasts for you. So don't forget to subscribe and uh, let's jump right into it. Welcome to the BioNexus Health Podcast with Dr. Jodi A. Dashaw, who holds a PhD in integrative medicine, is board certified in integrative pediatrics, an internationally recognized pioneering clinician and author. And now here's your host of BioNexus Health Podcast, Dr. Jodi A. Dashaw. Uh, one important thing to remember, guys, those of you watching, uh, remember that this, uh, remember to watch part two of this podcast. This is going to be in two parts. Uh, there are many uh, parents, I said moms, but you know, this is going to be uh, many parents of special needs children uh, from UK, Romania, Germany, France, Belgium, uh, that will be joining us and um, other countries in Europe. And I'm sure, you know, each one of them is going to have very interesting questions and uh, I will be providing in-depth answers. So just be sure to watch part two because it's going to be um, a pretty long podcast otherwise, right? But I do want to help as many um, special needs, autism and other special needs, you know, like genetic, CP, um, fragile X, et cetera. So there are uh, many children suffering from uh, many different conditions around the world. And this is a small attempt to help those families. So uh, be sure to tune in to part two as well. Morning, Alexandra. Good afternoon to you, actually, in Europe. How are you doing? Morning, Dr. Dashor. Uh, we are very, very well. Looking forward for our meeting today. Very good. Good. I'm glad to have everyone here. We have uh, quite a few who have uh, joined in. Probably we're going to have more because people are just gathering now. Okay. Yeah. So we should give them... Um, um, a few minutes. I mean, I guess we can get started, you know, because this is being recorded. Yes. And, uh, so, <laughs> right, um, for the benefit of everyone, uh, in case they want to revisit and watch this again, and plus for other families who were not able to make it today. So we'll make it available. Definitely. All right. Very good. So uh, I'm, I'm going to leave it up to you. You have the floor, Alexandra. How would you like to proceed? I'll start slowly, slowly. And if they will connect, then maybe okay. I will address and I'll say uh, their name along with a question. When okay, so this is a question from a mom in Italy. Go ahead. Yes, uh, she lives in Italy for a very long time and uh, she's got an adult um, child uh, with severe autism and genetic conditions. So her question is, is there hope for the genetic um, autism and uh, especially at this age because her daughter is over 20? Is there hope? Can we look into treatment? What would be like the solution or where should we start for an older person with symptoms and not just symptoms, genetic condition as well? Right, right. Well, 
<clears throat> one thing that that I want to say right off the bat is that there is always hope. You know, <clears throat> this is a mom fighting for her child. Definitely. And, you know, when children are diagnosed with genetic conditions, when when uh, I shouldn't say children, well, yeah, uh, your your son was diagnosed, your child was diagnosed when they were younger. But, you know, when there are uh, genetic issues, when there is issues like autism, cerebral palsy, um, other, right, you know, motor neuron disease, Guillain-Barre syndrome, um, any other kind of childhood problems, right? You know, juvenile diabetes, uh, juvenile arthritis, other genetic issues like fragile X. What I've seen in my practice, now remember my background specialization is pediatric neurology. So, you know, I've seen a lot of these cases even when I transitioned to the naturopathic practice. And what happens is, the genetic condition affects many systems in the body, right? It can affect your, first and foremost, your immune system. It can affect your neurological system, your kidneys, your liver, your detoxification uh, systems. So all of these over the years get more and more compromised. So it really doesn't matter at what age you start treating the child. It is important to customize the treatment to the child. You know, what are the genetic issues? What are the labs showing us right now? What is the state of all these different systems? I often find, you know, the muscles, the joints, the bones, the, uh, the back, the spine, uh, all of these systems or all of these uh, uh, different um, issues in the body of children who become adults with chronic long-standing issues. So there is absolutely hope. Uh, the oldest client on the spectrum that I have treated has been 36-year-old Rachel from California. I might have spoken about Rachel. She is, I mean, you know, her mom's in my pride and joy. Her mom was um, 65 when she contacted me, you know, and uh, very anxious, but very hopeful. At that age, she was very hopeful, single mom. And Rachel was in, um, in very bad shape. I mean, not even properly potty trained, just to imagine. At the, this is the work mom had to do. So um, Rachel improved a huge deal to the point where she and mom, you know, the, the, the aggression is gone, the anger, the destruction, the potty training is fine, the gut issues, the diarrhea, these are all resolved. You know, she is dressing, bathing on her own now. So this is, I mean, she even goes, you know, shopping with her mom uh, and its it's been life-changing. And mom never thought until she heard me speak at uh, one of the autism conferences that, you know, it was indeed possible. Thank you for that. You already answered my second question as the same mom was asking if there are hope because she's um, like, old now and she's having like severe insomnia and as well is having um, uh, back problems, joint problems. So you already answered the questions with um, this disease that is affecting all the systems basically. Um, another question is, does congenital Lyme exist and is there a link between congenital Lyme 
and um, autism. Congenital Lyme exists. There is a lot of research studies that have been conducted on this. I am a living example myself. You know, I know uh, many of us are here in, um, in this group. I, you know, and and who have done the research into this. Now, I um, first learned about this from you know, God rest his soul, Dr. Charles Ray Jones was the number one pediatric Lyme specialist in the world. And, you know, I, I mentored with him for my Lyme disease education when I was, when he was treating Brian. And uh, it was eye-opening, you know, he shared his entire PowerPoint presentation that he had recently presented it and, and I studied it. And, you know, um, uh, yes, Lyme disease can be sexually transmitted from mom to dad, dad to mom, uh, and then, from mom to child, yes, it does cross the placental barrier and the child can be born with Lyme. I've had many moms uh, who have been pregnant with Lyme and they found out during pregnancy or the bullseye, the insect bite happened during pregnancy and they were terrified, but they wanted to stay completely naturopathic. So I handled them, you know, there is a hospital right here, Central State, I, I remember, uh, helping one mom who was an ABA therapist locally, wonderful, you know, Allison, ABA therapist in, in the local school systems. She, the, hers was the first case I handled actually uh, of this. And, you know, um, baby boy Colin was born blue. He was born blue. He had meconium, uh, lots of issues right from birth. And, you know, and uh, anything he would eat would give him allergies, anything, any formula they tried, even breast milk, he would break out, his whole body would break out in allergies, hives, he couldn't sleep, he was constant spit up, very colicky, cranky, he wasn't developing well, she refused to vaccinate him because she knew, you know, that would be a big problem. So because of his severe medical issues, the establishment, you know, decided to wait for his vaccination, they were okay with that, thankfully, but uh, so then we said, you know what, uh, let's get um, some herbal and homeopathic treatment on board and not just plain homeopathic. It won't really help, you know, with, with such a severe case. So we did homotoxicology um, and then we did herbal and little Colin, amazing, amazing. You know, he, uh, his mom started him on gluten-free, dairy-free right away. He started getting better. So since then, he's had a brother, a mom got treated, she got, you know, so uh, I do preconception uh, counseling and treatment as well. So anyone trying to get pregnant, especially if you already have one autistic child or, you know, you already have one uh, special needs child um, and any, any kind of problem other than autism or autism, so what we do is we help the mother completely identify and detoxify the toxins. Um, and then usually the second pregnancy is amazing. So mom got treated, Allison got treated, and uh, 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 brother Adrian is, both the brothers are amazing. And, you know, uh, mom is doing well, her husband is doing well. So yes, it is we are, a reality. Uh, so as we are here on this chapter, that would have been one of my questions for a mom that has Lyme or suspects Lyme. 
how long before does she need to detox before another uh, pregnancy? How long would be, I don't know, appropriate to start the detoxifications for another pregnancy? All right, ideally a year, but the minimum I've seen good results with is six months. Now, you know, if, if we do testing for you and you have everything, MTHFR, CBS, VDR, you know, and then you have diabetes and then you have thyroid and you have a child who is autistic, you know, and then you have HLA-DR problems, you've been exposed to mold, you've had insect bites, then obviously, you know, uh, to be fair to the next child, you, uh, you should give yourself a year. So again, you know, it needs to be, uh, that's my, my main philosophy is you need to treat the individual, not the disease. It cannot be, uh, you know, a standard protocol that, hey, you know, all moms do this and you're, you know, ready to have a, a beautiful second child. It doesn't work like that. So individual evaluation, max a year, minimum one month, uh, sorry, minimum six months is what I've seen. Amazing. Thank you. Um, Andrea from Belgium, uh, she's asking if there is um, a medical cause from the sensory issues in autism, like um, haircut sensitivity, sound sensitivities, clothes, things like this. How can we sort them? Is there like, a, I don't know, a short, a shortcut or are there any tricks that we can go to to sort them in, a, I don't know, a faster time? To sort out the sensory issues faster. Yes. Okay. Uh, when there is biotoxin illness, there is actual damage to the gray matter in the brain. And there is swelling in the white matter in the brain. This is putting it very simply so everyone understands, you know, without using complicated terms like multinuclear atrophy, edema, et cetera, right? But that is research. That, that is what, um, you know, evidence-based research shows. So uh, as we treat the underlying causes, that is when you will start to see sensory issues get better. Remember, you have to identify the causes, you have to treat the causes, then you have to repair the damage caused. And lastly, if the problems are not getting resolved with just repairing the damage, you know, for example, damage to the gut, damage to the brain neurons, there are herbals which can absolutely be used for that. Now, if this is not working, then uh, it hasn't worked fully is what I'm, it works. But yeah. if, if you're not getting, you know, the kind of results you're seeing with respect to sensory, because sensory is a very high function. I mean, sensory integration goes from uh, basic, right? Basic five senses all the way to really complicated, uh, like, you know, uh, uh, bi-hemispherical integration using both the hemispheres productively, your um, body awareness, environmental awareness, moving the body in space, so spatial awareness, along with you know proper motor coordination. So sensory integration can be you know mild to max involved. Um, and at this point, at some point, for some children, we may need to use regeneration. And there are herbals that can be used for regeneration of uh, neurons. There are herbals that can be used to activate 
stem cells in the child's own body, your own stem cells. I mean, everyone has stem cells at any age. It doesn't matter. Your bone marrow is fully capable under ideal circumstances, of course. You know, if it's full of toxins and infections, then you won't see it happen, right? So that's the reason why many transplants also fail. Many go for stem cells. Oh, this is the most aggressive. Let's do it. Sure. You know, it's, it's a revolutionary procedure that is amazing for spinal cord injury, brain injury, stroke, etc. And there is a reason why FDA hasn't approved it for autism yet. I don't think uh, UK approves it as well. There is promising research, right? But it needs to be done systematically. So mom and dad's hard-earned resources and time and money and travel and what have you, you know, is not wasted. So... Uh, Ultimately, when we go to the regenerative stage, sorry, I, I just took a little detour, but mm -hmm. uh, in the region, because many asked me this question, so I thought I might as well address it, you know. So regeneration is entirely possible. Uh, your body's own stem cell uh, activation is entirely possible. Everything has to be done at the right time. Uh, yes, well, Andrea from Belgium also asked, uh, are there any shortcuts? Yes, uh, not really a shortcut, but you know, something that is uh, complementary. You can do sensory integration therapy and we can customize that to your child, you know, because uh, so first what you need to do is to get a sensory integration evaluation done and then send it to me, right? Um, and then based on your therapist's recommendation, I will say yes, no, modify, adjust, do this. So this will be customized because yes, I mean, as you know, I mean, I'm, I'm sensory integration certified for many, many years now, years, I mean, decades. <laughs> so uh, this is something that I'm planning on including in my uh, book on autism, uh, which should be coming out next year. But uh Yes, it is entirely possible to expedite the recovery. Great, thank you. Um, there is another question. What could be the cause of um, autoaggression, sensibility to light, um, uh, refuse to walk and uh, pain in legs? Would they be associ associated with Lyme? Would they be associated with the autism and comorbidities? What would be the source? Is there like a common source for all these symptoms? Yes. Uh, one common source is infections. So that is something. And of course, you know, um, I think that answers all the other questions. Is it Lyme? Is it autism? No, it's not autism. Autism does not cause pain in the legs. That, that's just, you know, absolutely ridiculous to believe that. You know, if you have a child sitting in the corner, holding up his legs, you know, um, I, I've, I've heard these stories from many, um, many across the globe. And I, I remember actually recently interviewing a mom from, um, from Pakistan, I think. And she mentioned, you know, her son used to sit... Uh, holding his legs up and uh, just refused to walk. And, you know, uh, people just blamed it on uh, autism behavioral issues. So oftentimes, you know, and again, there is one research study on this, which was published in 2012. 
I heard about this at a conference that I was um, I was speaking at as well. And since then, I'm sure there's many, but I haven't kept track because I already know. So children with autism, you know, uh, in a special needs school, it was a special needs teacher who conducted it along with uh, 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 a renowned line doctor here in the U.S. And what they and the reason why the teacher did this was because his own son was on the spectrum and he wanted to see what he could do. Um, so they started treating children for Lyme disease who had the symptoms of Lyme as well. Long story short, the head banging stopped. The uh, hand flapping stopped. You know, and uh, when these children were also treated for mold toxicity, additional symptoms got better. So, you know, uh, understand that hand flapping, right? Um, when someone has, uh, for example, you know, how your, your leg goes to sleep sometimes, you know, and then you just uh, bang your leg on, on the floor, you bang your foot on the floor, trying to kind of, you know, wake up the leg. Uh, similar neuropathy kind of symptoms happen with Lyme disease. And these children were just trying to wake up their arms and hands because there was tingling and numbness felt. And the children that had underlying infections and comorbidities, they lost that symptom. And it's, you know, globally known as the classic symptom of autism. I don't think, you know, in, uh, in today's day and age, uh, with where the research has come to, my own research has come such a long way, along with other, um, you know, practitioners who've uh, established research in this arena. It is just absolutely, uh, ignorant if you think a lot of symptoms that are, you know, just said, oh, this poor kid is autistic, so he is going to bang his head. He is going to bite himself or hurt others or destroy furniture or break the walls. I mean, I, I had one, one mom recently, you know, 12-year-old, untreated, um, severe pants, huge flare-up. You know, she ended up in the, in the ER with her son because he just, you know, he started breaking windows and walls because he has, that was not identified. The pants was not identified and somebody in the family got the flu and that's it. Severe flare. So, you know, it most certainly is not, you have to investigate why these behaviors are happening. Is your child in pain? Um, now, because we are, we were talking about flares. How should we proceed with very long flares and how can we boost immunity um, for the cold periods or is boosting immunity a good idea when we are talking about pans, pandas, Lyme, autoimmunity disease? Uh, well, long flares, we'll have to do individual information on that 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 is you know it, it depends on on each individual child what the underlying issues are you know we, we run the labs we investigate so if there is a long flare i i can answer in general but yeah. obviously you know i i cannot give out treatment options right now what to do but I'm, yeah um okay so um what was the second half of the question one is long flares and what is the long flares and can we do something to boost immunity and uh, immune boosting yes so i'm going to address that first actually absolutely no immune boosting right there are many um many people who think immune boosting is the number one thing that needs to be done 
But if there is underlying, I'm telling you, uh, more than 90% of children with autism that come into my practice have underlying pans. And during COVID, so many families had absolute nightmarish experiences because they thought boosting immunity would be a good thing to do because, you know, it's a special needs child and mom and dad always think for the best of the child. But unfortunately, the, that wasn't the case. Um, Yes, so PANS, the immune system is already in overdrive in a bad way. And when you're using herbals, you know, whatever supplements are out there, right, just be sure to look for immune boosters like echinacea, astragalus, eyebright, elderberry. Um, those should not be, hold on one second, sorry, because the sunshine is coming through and blurring the camera. But anyways. Yeah, I'm, I'm like right near the window. All right, so uh, no immune boosting. What we need, because it will make matters worse, right? There, there is already anti-neuronal antibodies that are crossing the blood-brain barrier and attacking the neurons in, your, in the brain of the child with pans. So you don't want to boost that. You don't want more antibodies to go attack the brain. So that's, what needs to be done is regulation. Immune modulation is necessary. Okay. Now, let's answer the other half of the question, right? Um, what can, what do you do with long flares? With long flares, investigate why, what is going on? Why is this extra long flare happening, right? Flares, if there is a legitimate exposure, I have done a podcast on autism and pans. Please watch that. It explains the mechanism and as to why once, once a legit trigger is acquired, like you know, strep, staph, flu, uh, viral, mold exposure, uh, insect bite, this legitimate trigger will trigger the pan's mechanism and the pan's mechanism will go on for four to six weeks. That is the science. That is just how an autoimmune immune system works. You cannot do anything, you know, other than stop the immune system, which obviously you don't want to do that, right? You know, so uh, how do you avoid long flares? The one thing that I had learned very early on with my son, you know, uh, because of the extreme severity that we were dealing with, with his pants was investigate every family member. Just make sure, you know, if, if investigation is too much, if you have a large family, then at least treat. Treat other family members during their cough, cold, flu, so that, you know, they are not being, uh, so the the child in question is not being exposed to that, to those triggers. Um, mold avoidance, keep, you know, it's not just cleaning, right? Keeping the house clean is, I know, you know, uh, all families try uh, to do the best they can. It's not a matter of cleanliness. It's a matter of, you know, environmental toxins that can or cannot be seen. So that has to be properly investigated. Use your nose. Use your memory. Was there any water damage? Was there any water leakage? Um, same thing with the school. You can't do much with the school, 
but just just keep an you know keep your nose eyes ears all open to see what is going on at the school so you know what the what the source is and if you can do anything about the source that's important uh, it's very important to you can immune boost mom and dad for example right so you know if you have older siblings who are neurotypical mom and dad immune boosting can be done for them systematically along with a few basic other supplements which need to be taken now you know i i have a cold virus flu cough protocol which can be used by all the family members it's very helpful during the season so uh, that is how you can prevent a long flare the goal is to bring your child's immune system back on track and on a full herbal protocol and that's when you'll see that your child gets a fever but gets better within one or two days fever is great um as we were talking about pans would you think it's possible not pans because pans is pediatric autoimmune but have you seen in your cases a rise in adults with symptoms of pans is it possible to have the same symptoms of pans in the adults and um would it be i don't know yeah you've mentioned about the protocol for uh, cold and flu would it be something extra that we need to give to an adult that is showing um, symptoms or how can we protect like even neurotypical kids um from a parent that is showing signs of pants, which is not pants, it should be ants. Pants. <laughs> right. Yes, I have done labs on, uh, on several parents just to, you know, check on what's going on with them. Yes, many adults also have antineuronal antibodies, right? And, uh, but with an adult immune system, during illness, immune boosting is good and it's fine and uh, for a short period. But during normal times, immune boosting is great, even better. Okay. okay. Actually, this is confusing. Let me rephrase, right? Restart the answer. Okay. Now, with adults demonstrating hand symptoms, during illness, do not boost. That's the best option. Okay. During active illness, follow the virus cold flu protocol. That will be enough to help you and your special needs child. But, <clears throat> <clears throat> sorry, but by mistake, if you boost, it's okay. Uh, but it is best to not boost during illness. However, during normal times, when you're feeling fine, there is no illness, it is a great idea to use immune boosting so that you don't get sick. And adults can be boosted. It's not going to uh, reactivate your symptoms. Uh, not that I've seen. I mean, anything's possible, you know, um, but usually I don't see that with adults because it's, it's a mature immune system. And, you know, uh, it, it can handle the immune boosting. The immune boosting is used appropriately. Now, I'm not saying drink five gallons of echinacea, you know, to become Superman. No, 
or super, uh, you know, or superwoman for that matter. I'm saying when dosed appropriately, the body will take what it needs as an immune booster and uh, let go. Because remember, the adult detox mechanisms are matured and much better than the child's detox mechanisms as well. So that's what I've seen. And uh, that is why there is the adult protocol, which has the immune booster in there, which is you know helpful to the other members of the family. Uh, we've got another question um, from Nicoletta. She's from the UK, parent of an autistic child. And she's asking, is there a cause or a link between epilepsy and puberty in the autistic kids? Interesting question and a good question. To me, it seems like if a child is developing hormonal associated epilepsy, that means that there is brain inflammation with underlying causes, comorbidities that has not been treated. So brain inflammation along with viruses, I mean, you know, viruses can cross the blood-brain barrier. We often see them uh, as positive in one of the labs that we run for the brain autoimmunity. And so, you know, to me, this will say that underlying comorbidities have not been treated. That is why when there is hormonal surge, the brain inflammation goes into overdrive. Uh, food sensitivities. If a child is expressing severe food sensitivities, what's happening? What's actually happening as a cause to that child? And um, how can we sort it out? Okay. I know you don't have the labs to say exactly, but what could be the causes for underlying for okay. food sensitivities, sorry. Severe food sensitivities is the question. And why is it happening? Yes. So uh, severe food sensitivities, you know, please don't say that, oh, this is autism. Autistic children have a leaky gut, yada, yada, yada. You know, it's, it's fine. We have to manage. No. Uh, leaky gut, very much true. But, you know, why leaky gut? It's not just because it's autism, you know, so your, your child was magically given the diagnosis of autism and magically the gut became leaky. No, there is always underlying causes. Investigate those. Now, what happens is when there is microbial, now microbial can be, you know, fungal, parasitical, yeast, mold, bacterial, viral, right? So any of these gram-negative bacteria, gram-positive bacteria, so they release toxins, endotoxins and lipopolysaccharides. Now lipopolysaccharides, endotoxins, they poke holes in the membranes in the gut. Now when there are these microscopic holes in the membranes of the gut, then the food that the child eats that is supposed to be in the gut escapes through those tiny holes. And when the food particles, molecules, I should say, not particles, it's very tiny. When, when these molecules end up in the bloodstream or outside of the gut, many times the already overactive, or even if the immune system is normal, not PAMS overactive, it usually is, but even if it's not, it will attack these molecules because they are alien to the bloodstream. They are not supposed to be in the bloodstream. 
Okay. So that is one reason why there is severe um, reactions, food sensitivities, because your immune system is overreacting. Second is when there is a leaky gut and you have these endotoxins from uh, whatever is happening in the gut, these endotoxins can translocate to other major other organs. Now, the other major organs being the liver, the spleen, the kidneys. And I've seen children develop, you know, childhood um, kidney disorder, you know, childhood nephrological disorder, um, childhood liver issues, uh, fatty liver disease. Even in adults, this can happen, of course. So that is the other reason, right? So if liver is involved, you know, then um, um, you have digestion issues. If kidney is involved, then you have uh, a water regulation, electrolyte, mineral imbalances that are seen in the body that have their own consequences as well. You know, you'll see that the child is very tired. Uh, there is, it, you see, you see moments where your child is bright, but then you'll see that, you know, there are moments of great brain fog. It is simply nutritional deficiencies. So unless your child is having an anaphylactic true IgE allergy to that food and having only multiple sensitivities, which is demonstrating as eczema, um, you know, other kinds of symptoms, then you should you should definitely treat, investigate and treat. Thank you. Um, I've got a question from someone, I don't know their name, but um, it says uh, she's supposing that her child could have Lyme, although it was never beaten by a thick. Um, she has listened to your podcasts and she's got the question. If a child shows autistic symptoms, let's say because of the Lyme um, that uh, he's got from the mother, uh, from the mold in the house, biotoxins, uh, pesticides, heavy metals, and every other single way, then how is it possible that two brothers living in the same environment, born from the same mother and father, um, one is fully healthy and the other one is autistic? Again, interesting question, right? Even twins are different. So just regular siblings are obviously different. So that is a, a no-brainer. I see that all the time. You know, uh, triplets are different. It's very interesting. Uh, one set of triplets that I see, that just reminds me, the uh, firstborn the one who was born like a couple of minutes earlier is fine. Completely uh, uh, neurotypical with like minimum, you know, uh, issues or hardly any, you can say. And the other two brothers that came after as part of the triplets have uh, issues. And even then, one of them has more severe, you know, pans, vaccine injury, autism-like syndrome issues than the other one. So I see this at every uh, appointment. One is uh, developing better than the other. They're twins, identical, you know, triplets. So they each have their own protocol. So that that is uh, that is how that is that is possible. You know, it's it, they are two different individuals. 
Um, what what else? Uh, what was the question about Lyme? What was no, cause autism? Yeah, no, no, no. The question was like, if they are brothers and uh, everything should be the same, the environment, the food that they consume, and everything else. How is it that one is autistic and one is not? Autistic oh, right. Okay. So the um, so who is autistic? The older or the younger? The younger. The younger one is is autistic. Okay. Yeah. So I think I, I already answered the question, you know, it could be any number of things that went wrong. Thank you. Dorina um, from Germany is asking about increased um, IgG antibodies. For example, if the IgG um, limits of a virus is less than 10, let's say, and the lab is showing that that IgG is over 500, how do you explain those markers? How dangerous are they for um, the body? And uh, how can they impact the body? Thank you for joining Master Herbalist Dr. Jody A. Dashaw, Director of the BioNexus Health Clinic and BioNexus Herbals, on the BioNexus Health Podcast, where we explore and share information and stories about recovering and healing from chronic and environmental illnesses such as mold biotoxin illness, Lyme disease, autism spectrum disorder, fatigue, Crohn's and colitis, mast cell activation syndrome, PANS, and more. Please help us grow our message by subscribing to our podcast channel and sharing the podcast on your social networks. For more information visit bionexushealth.com. Information within this video, audio, or text, collectively known as the podcast, has not been reviewed by the FDA. Nothing within the podcast is intended as or should be construed as medical advice. Information is for general informational and educational purposes only. Consumers of the podcast should consult with their healthcare practitioners for medical recommendations. Seek the advice of a qualified healthcare provider. Do not disregard the advice of a healthcare provider based on any information from the podcast. The information within the podcast may contain information concerning dietary supplements or over-the-counter products that are not drugs. Our dietary supplement products are not intended for use as a means to cure, treat, prevent, diagnose, or mitigate any disease or other medical or abnormal condition.